Revelations chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Billy and I have started a sermon series on Sunday night called What Does the Bible Say About? We're looking at 12 hot topics that are pressing us in our church today from the world around us. Tonight, I'm borrowing a line from Shakespeare himself for the title of this lesson. The title of this lesson is, To Play or Not to Play? That is the question. Because we're looking at instrumental music. If you were to talk to the people of our community, if you were to ask them, what can you tell me about those people called the Church of Christ? More than likely, they'd say something like this. Well, they're those ones who, uh, they don't believe in music, right? You've probably heard that uh, said to you. Well, we do believe in music. But we believe in music that is authorized by the New Testament. God wants us to praise Him. That's very clear. He wants us to praise Him. But how do we praise Him. It's true. In the Church of Christ, we do not use instrumental music. It's not because we, um, well, it's not because we don't have any talented people as members who can play, because I know some of you have uh, musical ability. It's not because we uh, don't appreciate instrumental music. It's not because we want to be different. It's not because we can't afford the instrument. Why do we not use instrumental music? For one simple reason. We sing a cappella style because that's the kind of music that the New Testament authorizes. The word a cappella, you can spell it as two words, the original spelling, or you can spell it as one word. Either way, the word means music of the chapel. The music of the chapel was without instruments. It was singing the voice, the voice that God has given us. And that was the music of the chapel, and that was the original music for the Lord's church. The New Testament is our guide for how we worship our God. It says in John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, that implies something. What that implies is it's possible to worship God, but not in truth. We can fail to worship correctly. That verse tells us it's possible to worship and not be pleasing to God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We can't just cherry pick. We have to look at all the scriptures and we have to apply all of God's Word to what we do. Paul said in the Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you do, in word, 
or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We want to praise God, we want to thank God, and we want to do everything in the name of the Lord. If we cannot find support in the New Testament for what we do, then we should not do it. So what does the New Testament say about praising God? I want to look at seven verses that all happen after the church is established there in the book of Acts. I want to look at seven verses that either give us an example of praising God, or it gives us a command on how we praise God. Plus, I want to look at one verse that takes place just before the church is established, because this one verse involves Jesus with his own apostles. Let's start with that verse. Matthew chapter 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They had sung a hymn. Acts 16 verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Romans 15, 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 1 Corinthians 14. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Ephesians 5.19, the verse that uh, Billy read, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Hebrews 2, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And then finally, our last one, James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, I'm going to put Billy on the hot seat here. Because I've got a lot of faith in that guy. I'm going to ask him a question. And I, I just know he's going to give me the right answer. In all those verses, which verse said sing and play? Which one? None of them. The answer is, none of them said, sing and play. Each one said, sing. But still, we have people in our community that use instruments to praise God. So why? Why do they do it? Well, let's look at some arguments that they have some actual arguments that they will say support the use of instrumental music. Argument number one, 
Since David used musical instruments to worship God, we can use them in worship today. They're right, but they're wrong. They're right in the fact that David did use instrumental music. In fact, there's a long laundry list of verses that I can show you that show David either playing an instrument, usually a harp, or he was talking about instruments. But they're all Old Testament. Each one of those passages is Old Testament. And we do not live under the Old Testament. We live under the New Testament. If we're going to use this argument, we better get ready for animal sacrifices, ritual cleansing, cleansing, dietary laws, and all the other things associated with the old law. I'm very thankful that we don't live under the old law. We live under the new law. So to this argument, I say, no, doesn't cut, doesn't cut the mustard. Let's look at argument number two. They say, well, the book of Revelation pictures God's people worshiping with instruments. Once again, they're right, but they're wrong. Now, let's look at the two verses that they are referring to. Revelation chapter 5, in your Bible now, Revelation chapter 5, look down at verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the scrolls, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The other verse that they refer to in Revelation is Revelation chapter 14. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. Go over to chapter 14, verse number 2. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Now, why does this argument not hold water? For the following reasons. Number one, Revelation is talking about worshiping in heaven. It's not talking about worshiping here on earth. Worship in heaven is vastly different from worship here on earth. You've got God right there in the center. You've got Jesus. You've got the angels. It's a little bit different from worship right here on earth. It's worship in heaven. Furthermore, those two passages which I just read from Revelation, they may not refer necessarily to literal instruments. The book of Revelation... The book of Revelation is a book of symbolism. It's symbolism. Notice it said, John heard a sound as many waters, like many waters, and a voice that sound like harpers on harps. Not necessarily saying that it was literally those 
instruments. So once again, this argument doesn't really hold water. Let's look at the next argument. They say, well, the Greek word solo, which is translated in the ESV as making melody in Ephesians 5.19, it means to pluck strings and gives authority to play instruments in worship. Once again, they're right, but they're wrong. They should have said, originally this word meant that. Languages are always evolving and changing. For example, if I called you an idiot, you would be offended, and rightly so. But if this was 17th century England, and I called you an idiot, you'd be flattered. Because the word idiot, 300-something years ago in England, it meant someone who held a high private office. The word has changed over the years. We understand that. Take the word gay. We know what that word means today. We hear it all the time. We're talking about alternate lifestyles. But also, did you catch the song about the children's song, Frosty the Snowman? Frosty the Snowman was a gay old fella. That word gay there doesn't mean what it means today. Languages evolve. When Greek became a language, the word solo did mean to pluck a string. But by the time of the first century, when the New Testament was written, it had evolved to refer to singing, praises, singing, not plucking strings. Furthermore, if you want to press me on this, I would say, if you're going to look at the original meaning of that word, my question to you is, what instrument are we plucking? It's making melody where? In our heart. So the instrument, if you want to use the original meaning, which actually was not the most common meaning in the first century, if you want to use the original meaning of that word solo, then I will say to you, which instrument? It's the heart, making melody in your heart to God. Well, let's continue. They say this. They say, well, God, God gave me a musical talent, so he would expect me to use it to praise him. I'm, um, I'm amazed at people who have musical talent. For me, I can't pick a guitar. I can pick my nose, but I can't pick a guitar. I can't play any kind of instrument at all. And, and to see someone who's able to uh, take an instrument and, uh, and perform, uh, it's amazing to me how they can do that. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I, I'm just not talented like that. But just because you have a talent doesn't authorize you to use that talent in worship. Here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, we had people in the Jewish nation that were very talented in making uh, idols. We see them doing that. 
starting with the golden calf all the way up. You know, they were talented. They could fashion. They could create. They could create probably beautiful idols. Just because they could create beautiful idols doesn't give them the authorization to do that. In fact, God condemned the creation of idols. Argument number five, and probably this is the biggest one. I enjoy instrumental music. It makes me feel closer to God. It makes me happy. Guess what? Well, it probably does. Because here we're talking about emotions. And emotions can run deep. And yes, uh, the emotions of the music and what you're hearing, it, it can really get you emotionally wound up. But what is worship for? Who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping ourselves? Or are we worshiping God? Should worship be for God's benefit or our benefit? I think you know the answer. It should be for, for God's benefit. We're worshiping God. Should worship be entertaining? No, worship should be something we're doing to lift up God's name, to glorify Him. So once again, this argument doesn't really hold. Let's look at argument number six. They say, well, as long as God is praised, God doesn't mind. Really? Are you sure about that? Are you positive? Because if you look at the Bible, you'll see that God, God has always expected obedience. And God is much stricter than what mankind may feel. For example, let's look at some examples here. Romans chapter 11. Note then the kindness and severity. You've got both kindness and severity of God. Severity tells those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Let's go to the Old Testament. Example, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve just violated one command. Just one. It's only one. Cast out of the garden. Lot's wife. Only violated one command. Turned into a pillar of salt. How about that Israelite in Numbers 15 who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath? Just violating one command, sentenced to death. How about King Saul who disobeyed God? Now, he said, oh, I did it to worship him. That wasn't really true. The kingdom was taken away from his family. How about King Uzzah, who was struck with leprosy? Why? Because he disobeyed God. But now, people would say, well, huh, Michael, that's all Old Testament. That's all Old Testament. God's much more loving now in the New Testament. Well, he is loving. He is kind. But he's severe. Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. 
Verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall, this is a rhetorical question here, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 28. Once again, they say, well, that's just Old Testament. Let's, we're looking at New Testament now. This is New Testament. Verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God, what? Acceptable worship. That implies some worship is not acceptable. Did you catch that? He says, acceptable worship, which means that some worship can be unacceptable. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God, God is not pleased with man trying to improve worship. How do I know that? Just look at Nadab and Abihu. They thought they could improve worship, and they offered the wrong type of worship, and they were struck down. And what does it say? In Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In other words, don't add to, don't take away. Actually, the use of instrumental music in the worship of God in terms of history is a fairly recent historical addition. If you look at the worship of God, this addition of instruments is a fairly recent historical addition. If you look at the Protestant movement, that would be churches not Catholic, essentially. 
if their roots started before 1800, their origin most likely was a cappella without instruments. In fact, let's take for just a moment, and I hope I'm not offensive here. I'm going to mention some different churches here, and I'm not trying to be offensive. We're just going to look at some historical facts here. Let's look at the first denomination, the Roman Catholic Church. Let's quote from their own Catholic encyclopedia. Here's what the encyclopedia says. The first Christians were of too spiritual a fiber to substitute lifeless instruments for, or to use them to accompany the human voice. In the Catholic Church, we don't have the introduction of instruments until the 7th century, and that wasn't really in the actual worship of God. It was more for other activities, but it was introduced it was not widespread introduced until about 300 years later after that. And, it was, and when it was introduced, it resulted in the largest breakup of the Roman Catholic Church. In 1054, the Roman Catholic Church broke apart over several issues, one primarily being instrumental music the eastern part of that denomination, we call that the Orthodox Church, they were non-instrumental. In fact, traditional Orthodox churches today, and we have been to Romanian Orthodox churches, they're still a cappella. They're still non-instrumental, even today. Looking at Protestant churches, the Lutheran Church. The Lutheran Church originally was a cappella and did not add instrumental music until about a hundred years after the death of Martin Luther. The Methodist Church originally was opposed to instrumental music. John Wesley, which is one of the two men that is uh, usually associated with the uh, beginning of the Methodist Church was strongly opposed to instrumental music. The Baptist Church was originally opposed to instrumental music. The change for them started around 1825, was fairly complete by 1900. But originally, they were a cappella. In fact, I remember many years ago, I was serving on a committee for the Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Habitat for Humanity builds houses for, uh, for uh, poor families. And I was on this committee that was uh, given the task of uh, choosing who would receive the next house. And it just so happened by chance that every person on that committee was a minister. There were seven of us. Six Baptist ministers and me, okay? I was number seven. I was guy number seven. And we were meeting at Eastside Baptist Church, and, and we had this long table, and I was on the very end of the table, and we had all the applications in front of us. 
And as we were going through the applications, the other six guys, they started talking. Okay? Here's what they were talking about. Southside Baptist Church had a few weeks prior to this, they had introduced uh, guitars, drums, and a fog machine into their worship. And these six Baptist ministers were complaining. Basically, that's what they're doing. They were complaining about what they were doing down at Southside and how wrong it was and how terrible it was and what a shame it was. See, they forgot about me, okay? I'm down on the end of the table. They forgot about, they've got an outsider among them, okay? Me. I said, guys, hey guys, silence. Just then they realized, uh-oh, we've got someone here that's an outsider. I said, guys, I've got a question for you. What's the difference between guitars and drums and a fog machine and that piano sitting right there? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good question. Second John chapter 1, verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I want to have the Father. I want to have the Son. I want to do what God says to do. Galatians chapter 1. I'm astonished, verse 6, that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I want to follow God's Word. I want to do God's Word. Now, I am preaching right now to people that I'm going to say you agree with me 100%. But guess what? We can still violate this. We can still sin. Let me share with, with you something that's painful to me. In my family, I can trace my historical roots in the Church of Christ back to 1841, my father's side. In my father's side of the family, we have a very long list of uh, elders and deacons and men who have uh, been teachers. But by the time my dad was born and my dad got married... He was not the spiritual giant that his father had been. His father had been an elder. His father had been an elder. His father had been an elder. My spiritual roots, my historical roots are in my father's family. My spiritual roots are in my mother's family. Because here's what I observed as a little boy, and this is what's painful. I'd be sitting there... We always would sit on the seventh row back, okay? We, okay? It was just two sides, you know, one, two, and we sit on this side, and we always sit on the seventh row back, about where Mark is sitting, right about there, okay? And I'd be sitting next to my mom, who was sitting next to my dad. My mom would sing. She loves to sing. I would be singing. I'd be singing my heart out. My dad 
would not be singing. Now he would defend a cappella music to his last breath. He would defend against using instruments to his last breath. But he did not sing. He was guilty. Do we sing? Do we praise Him? It's more than just knowing the reason why. It's also doing. My dad could have told you the reason why. But he didn't do. Spiritually, I'm more like my mom. And I'm thankful for that. That's not easy to say. But it's the truth. We proudly praise God with our voices. And hopefully, all of us praise God with our voices. I remember one of our first churches, remember the little boy that was Down syndrome? He would sing off-key, so horribly off-key, but he loved God so much that he sung, and I'm going to tell you right now, to God, that little boy was singing beautifully to God. doesn't matter how you sing. It just matters that you sing. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed God? Have you put on the Lord in baptism? Tonight, do you have a reason to come back? Do you need the prayers of this church? Tonight, if you have any reason to respond, please do so while we stand and sing for your encouragement.